Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we have a great podcast ahead of us. Last week, we broke down a lot of recruiting. We broke down a lot of schedule stuff. So if you haven't yet, go back, go to last week, listen to those podcasts. But today, we're going to get into a little bit more recruiting with an update of kind of what happened last week and what is still yet to happen. Uh, And then we'll get into a little bit of fall camp talk. So it's going to be a good day. But just a little recap. Uh, Saturday was a bit of a surprise. You know, we kind of went in. We didn't have a lot of confidence in Jalua Solomon but obviously Auburn made a really late surge and made a lot of the Gamecock people mad as many of the people I, I went on their 24-7 site uh, and was reading some of the uh, some of the posts and they were very mad they the, the night before they had listed him as a and I quote a cock lock and that's what they call that's hmm. what they call guys that they say are going to be locks. And, you know, that's just – that was insane to me. But so they felt really good about him. Obviously, Auburn makes the late surge, gets him on board, gets him in the class. And then K.J. Bolden, which was kind of the big fish that everyone was looking at, obviously, went and chose FSU, which a lot of people think that that recruitment might not be done. They think it will go to December. I'm personally – I don't know how I feel about that, but regardless – you know, we probably won't have to play KJ, so it's better than him going to Georgia. Obviously, we would have wanted him to come to Auburn. But going one out of two for the day is not bad. Lewis Solomon is still a fantastic player. So that's kind of what happened last week. But either, before we get into this weekend's recruiting buzz and kind of the, 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 the events to come next week, give us your thoughts about the weekend and kind of what you thought about Solomon and Bolden and how all that kind of fits into what you think is moving in the momentum of recruiting and kind of what the landscape is looking like. How is the year 2023 and they're still allowed to call it the cock lock? I have no idea. I, I saw these Do you have to be 18 members. years or older to subscribe to this website. <laughs> These are staff members. 24-7 site ever. Yeah, I I was I was shocked. I was reading it. And at first I thought it was like I I saw like, you know, normal people posting it, and you know, it's it's the normal fan, you know, that's that's gonna happen. But then I started seeing like that's actually what they call these guys. It it was shocking. I think I like crystal ball better. I I think think they should go with the industry standard on this one. But some things don't need to be custom. Um (laughs) man i'm so glad every time i interact with south carolina fans and hear their cheers just anything it 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 might it's the most uncomfortable school in the entire country and that's saying something i mean think look the sec is just a wonderful place you've got actual serious teams okay and then you have vanderbilt who decided to do a field project right before the season (laughs) 
and the field is not going to be ready for game one. They're going to have to go to a high school field to play their games. Can you imagine if you had to do Duck Sanford Stadium for Auburn? What a way to raise NIL money. You must donate $100,000 at least in NIL to get a ticket to the Duck. You'd have people lined up. You could set up a big TV screen in the Lakeview parking lot across the street. It'd be epic, man. Just have a big time out there. So you have that in Vanderbilt. You have whatever South Carolina does. Man, it's just been so fantastic to see their fan base just broken over losing this recruit. I can't think of a recruit that Auburn's ever lost that has broken the fan base like this guy did. And, hey, Solomon is going to be a really good player. He's a great pickup. It's not like we went and flipped Derrick Henry, went and flipped even George Pickens. You think about how Auburn fans reacted to that. I mean, solid player. But, honestly, will people, unless he has a really good career at Auburn, I will forever associate his name with breaking South Carolina and breaking the cock lock. <laughs> well, and, and another thing. Like, can you imagine if On to Victory tweeted that they did that they did, didn't want him anyways? Yeah, like we, we didn't want that? this guy anyway. We hate when players want money. Don't donate to us. We don't want to pay the players anything. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a horrible look for for South Carolina, and really, I think it was a great look for Auburn that it showed that it was, you know, reestablishing the state of the program that when they want someone, they're not going to lose to, you know, Beamer Ball with his, you know, mayonnaise bath and all that. Like, th- that's not, you know, Auburn is not going to lose recruiting battles to South Carolina. That's not going to be a thing that consistently happens, you know. And I think that that, that was a, it was a big win that people aren't necessarily talking about that aspect of it, that Auburn just kind of flexed its muscles and they're like, yeah, we're Auburn. We're better than y'all, you know. Why do you why do you think the narrative still exists on college football Twitter and among college football fans? that paying the players is cheating. Like, I don't know. It doesn't, it's almost, it, it's the equivalent of like five years ago being like, oh, they offered him a scholarship. Barn cheating again. It's like, but this, this is totally within the rules. I, I'm sorry that he chose our scholarship over yours. Like, that's what the on to victory is. The, the opportunity, it's the opportunity to actually make money at the university. It's not a cheating scheme. It's not what Jeremy Pruitt was doing, putting McDonald's bags. And so all it's done is just taken all of the grimy behind the scenes things that we used to, you know, leave a McDonald's bag outside of South Donahue in a bush and just made it out in the open. And people still call it cheating. And it it's just simply not cheating. I, I don't yeah. understand. And I, I like what you said with the the opportunity, and I think that that's the biggest thing that the players can see is when you have an NIL collective that's in disarray. And you know, Auburn saw that. You know, like when before On the Victory was founded, and it was kind of like, you know, there were like five, four or five different NIL things that were all kind of there, and no one really knew which one the main one was, and it wasn't it wasn't super uniform and it wasn't connected. But now with On the Victory, you can see that you can see deals that people are getting. They can show. You know, they can show all these things. They can say, look, you know, obviously it's a different sport, but they can say, yeah, like SUNY Lee is making all this money. They can show all these things. And you're looking at the schools that are doing well in recruiting are schools that have aligned and strong NIL collectives. And it's not like they're saying, 
like it's not like they're writing a check for eighty thousand dollars when the guy commits. Like they talk about they, you know, you you can show like they can say like, look at this facility, look at all this, look at all this stuff that's going on, and the players are like, okay, I have the opportunity to make money, and they can look at the what South how South Carolina talks about nil, and they can talk about how Auburn talks about nil, and you can tell that it's different. They don't even have they don't have to write numbers, they don't have to tell you what you're going to make. But you can see, like, these guys are smart kids. They can see where the opportunities are. And I think that that's the big thing. And really, it, it makes it interesting because it it change, it does change the college football landscape because I think it hurts the the, the bad, you know, the, the lesser schools, like the non-Power Fives. And it hurt, and in the Power Five landscape, it hurts the, the schools that don't have as much money. But I think it really does kind of even out recruiting in the long run because when you look at the top guys, they're not really seeing those McDonald's bags as much. It's like, all right, everyone has money. Auburn, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, Florida, they've all got money. If the player goes there, they're going to make money through NIL. And so now it really is like, all right, who's the best recruiter? You know, like the the money isn't even an aspect anymore. And it's just like, all right, Kirby versus Hugh Freeze versus Mike Norvell. Like they're all actually fighting kind of like it really did used to be. So and I, I mean, it's it's changing college football. It has changed college football, but that is where we're at now. And I think that it really is like there were always those voices when NIL was being discussed that they were like, it's going to leave these other – it's going to hurt these other schools and it's going to help the big ones. And that's what we're seeing. And so I, I agree with you. I don't really see why people are getting mad about NIL when those are the same people – you know, all the people that are mad on Twitter about NIL are the same people that were fighting for it. And they were like, this is stupid that players aren't getting paid. We want our NCAA video game. And they weren't really thinking like, well, my school is not going to compete with the top dogs in this. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with your stance. Yeah. So not cheating also and not to make the whole podcast about NIL, but you saw Texas A&M had some issues with their NIL collective this week. Um, basically, so what a bunch of. NIL collectives, and I'm really bringing this up to brag on Auburn, is a lot of NIL collectives thought we're kind of associated with the university. So we're going to set this up as like a nonprofit, and people are going to make their NIL donations to this organization. And then since we're giving it to the college kids, we'll call it a college donation. It'll be a tax write-off. Credit to Auburn and the lawyers that set up the collective and looked at how the situation was going to go and said, look, if Tigers Unlimited is not a tax-deductible organization to donate to, NIL collectives are not going to be a tax-deductible donation. like that. That's not going to be approved. And so while in the early phases, they may have taken a little bit of heat for not doing following what a lot of other people were and people saying, oh, they're falling behind the eight ball, in the long run, you're starting to see now we're competing with the big boys because the big boys looked at it and said, no, this isn't how we're going to do it. And then you don't look dumb to your donors. Like people who are moving the needle on NIL collectives do not want to be caught up in something ridiculous. They do not want to donate to something and then think it's going to be a tax write-off and then you've messed up their entire tax situation for their real life, not just for their, oh, I'm going to give you some money to have some fun on Saturdays. Well, and so, I mean, credit to Auburn. I, I would just say, People are always hating on Auburn for, you know, the way that we handle things. If you look back over the past 10 years, Auburn has handled things very, very well. 
as far as eligibility of our athletes, as far as managing NIL, as far as managing the storm that could have come with SUNY Lee. I mean, the PR department and the compliance department at Auburn has been exceptional for the past 10 years. And I think a lot of people used to get on Rich McGlynn. I He's shown that he is handling things at a super high level that is keeping Auburn relevant in multiple sports at a time. And so I just think that you need to have a shout out because we always want to talk about, oh, well, Auburn, you know, we have the donors and people always want to focus on the negative. But sometimes you just got to give Auburn a pat on the back and be like, you know what? We've had Auburn's done a good job recently, like handling the Jarquez Hunter situation. First of all, the PR department being able to keep the Jarquez Hunter situation as close to the vest as possible and not letting that become a national story. Fantastic job. I'm sure we'll find out on Saturday. You know, some people say Jarquez will have a couple of game suspensions. Some people say he's going to be totally free to go. We'll probably see, I would assume on Saturday, we'll get an answer when Hugh does his press conference. Either way, though, just keeping that situation internal, really letting not the media decide whether the guy was guilty or not, but letting the proper authorities handle it and determine, hey, is this guy guilty? Because if he's guilty of a crime, like, that's a terrible thing. And there's a reason that crimes exist. It's because their people get wronged severely. But at the same time, I don't want ESPN to crucify the guy and the whole mob be like, oh, this is a bad look, he's guilty, when clearly if he's going to be playing for Auburn, he's not guilty. Because that was not an athletic department investigation, but the athletic department did a great job of handling the situation so that it didn't get out of hand, so that there weren't rumors swirling of, you know, misconduct and stuff. So I, I just wanted to give a props to the Auburn Athletic Department for what they're doing right now, because I feel like as we're moving into the 12-team playoff, you're seeing – a lot of teams are realizing that this is a pinnacle point inside of college football. Okay, you've got SMU saying, we want to join a Power 5 conference right now. We will not take a TV deal for five years. We'll pay our own way for five years because it's about to shift. When that 12-team playoff gets here, we're not making it from the American Conference. Okay, same thing with Auburn. Auburn is realizing, hey, Right now is the time where we have to prove that we are with the big boys. We have to prove that we are with the Bamas, the Georgias, the Clemsons, the Ohio States. Like, this is not the time to be winning six games. And they're putting the money up for it. They're putting people in positions. They're making smart business moves. I think Auburn is positioning itself very well for the future. Um, and I think that it's honest. I don't want to say it's a miracle. But, I mean, if you think about where we were, you know, a couple years ago where you had Stephen Lee, who was not a very pro-athletic person. And yeah, he made the university a tier one research institution, but you have to realize that the university benefits so much from athletics. But the board of trustees being able to get a president in who is going to focus on athletics and academics to make Auburn University great. You know, you get an athletic director who's at odds with all the donors whether or not he's good at his job of direct, directing athletics, you ha you have to be able to get along with the donors, whether you're at Auburn, Alabama, Texas A&M, Texas, Oakland. Like, that's part of the job, unless you're at a school like where he came from at Buffalo, where they don't have big donors. So it's all about how do you direct athletics. And so being able to figure out, okay, we made a mistake, let's change it, and everybody wants to hate on Auburn's always trying to change things. Well, 
we have really smart people who are saying, you know what, this is not good for the university as a whole. And so we're going to take the PR hit right now of, oh man, we're going to shift this, we're going to shift that for the eventual payoff of, hey, we're going to look good in a couple of years. We're not going to have a Twitter story come out about our NIL collective that we were basically committing tax fraud and that the money is kind of suspended right now. And also we're not going to have our NIL collective tweet at a recruit and say, yeah, we didn't want to pay you anyway. Like it's a level of professionalism that you're not seeing from some places. And it's a level of not being sleazy that you see from other places. And so people say, Oh, Bruce and Hugh Auburn's become a sleazy school. It's like, "Mm, no, that's, that's not necessarily the case. Um, and so people can have their opinions, you know, of what Q did way back when, you know, but I think especially with Bruce, I mean, you're seeing, you know, competing and we're about to talk about it with a top five player in the country. And we're seeing that when you put your NIL collective together for football, that's your common goal of football. Okay. NIL goes to all of your sports. And so now you see him competing with Duke, Kansas, you start winning some basketball games. And it becomes that thing that you were saying where you have enough money to come to the table with the big boys. And then it becomes, are you a good recruiter? And do you have the good facilities? And facilities need to be something. I would say that's kind of the hangup we have right now at Auburn. Auburn basketball's facility is not as nice as it needs to be. Now, Bruce willingly gave up on the facilities to get the NIL to where it was because he viewed if the NIL isn't with the big boys, it doesn't matter how nice the facility is. So he did the sacrifice. And so that, I think, is where the leadership is going to move their direction next, is focusing on the basketball facility. But you got to get that football facility first because no matter how good basketball is, and I think Bruce would say this, it just doesn't generate the revenue. I mean, the football stadium is literally, I think it's nine times bigger. So if you sell out the game, even if you sold the tickets for the same price, which you're not selling them for the same price, you're going to make 10 times as much money for every football sellout, not to mention all of the people that come to town. So football has got to be your number one priority. It's the biggest money maker. Even at Duke, the Duke football team makes more than the Duke basketball team. And no one thinks of Duke as a football school. So that's where Auburn needs to go, obviously, next. But I'm happy with where they are now with the NIL and all of the ways that we've been set up. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, obviously we're not going to harp on this for, for too much longer. Although I do, I do love what you just said, but you know, you go back to when Hugh Freeze was hired and we talked about it and we were like, this is the most pivotal moment, arguably. And I, I remember I said this and some, some people disagreed. I said that, you know, in that hiring, that it was the most important hire in Auburn football history and arguably Auburn athletics history. And you're starting to see that now starting to see, you know, the dominoes started falling and people call me crazy, but it was like the 12 team playoff was coming. You see all this conference realignment, you see things like SMU, you see team random teams just moving everywhere. And you're like, this is because when the playoffs expanding and everyone is focused, they're vying for position, trying to get in when, when the dust settles, where are they going to be? Are they going to be making the most money? And do they have a chance to win championships? And so you look at that and, you looked at our Auburn's coaching search and the staff decided to take the risk on Hugh Freeze because they said, you know, after the guys that interviewed him said, this guy, he he's changed. He learned his lesson, went to Liberty. He has learned his lesson. He's good. And they were able to disparage some of the things that were, that he was accused of, which obviously, you know, that that was the biggest risk 
and hiring Hugh Freeze is he had the past, but they believed they were like he's changed, and they were like we can hire him, and he's going he's not going to make another he's not going to make a mistake anything like that again. They made that decision, and they hired him over a guy like Lane Kiffin because Hugh Freeze could win a big game, and that was the bit that was the biggest thing that they decided was they picked Hugh Freeze because they thought he could really make some noise, and they didn't really think Kiffin could do that at the end of the day. And so you're starting to see that, that Hugh Freeze is getting in. He's starting to shake up recruiting. He's starting to do that. And it all just matters what he can do on the field. But you start looking at that decision, and it looks like the risk is paying off as of now. And we'll come back to this in five months and see if the risk is still paying off. We'll come back to it in three years and see if the risk is still paying off. But regardless, that is the big risk that they took in the biggest hire in college football and that's what they did. And so that that's where we're at now. And moving into this weekend, you're starting to see more chances for Hugh to prove it. You know, you got you got TJ Lindsay, four-star player committing and it looks like he's going to looks like he's going to come to Auburn. Auburn's been trending. That's a big one. And then Kamarian Franklin, who is a big big-time player that really I didn't I didn't think we I didn't think Auburn had a great shot. It seemed like Tennessee and Miami were head and shoulders above everybody. Kamarian came in after Big Cat weekend and had a tour, got in, you know, saw the facilities, all that right before the dead period. And Auburn is surging right now in his recruitment. Auburn's picked up, I think, two crystal balls, uh, both from Auburn writers. Auburn is feeling good about it. He announced his commitment date today will be August 19th. And you're starting to see as we inch closer to the, the, the season, the high school season's getting even closer. You know, the high school season's going to start before the college season. And all these guys, a lot of these guys want to commit before their high school season starts. So you see TJ Lindsay, Kamarian Franklin, DeAndre Carter are all going to commit within a month. And Auburn is trending for all of them. And that really can help Auburn's class. And Kamarian Franklin, I mean, he's ranked as a five star on 24 7, the number 30 point, the, the 30th ranked player in the country on the D line. He is going to be you know, a big-time player. And if Auburn can get him on board, as well as guys like T.J. Lindsey, DeAndre Carter, still filling out the class, if you land those guys, it's looking like Auburn's trending for a top-10 class, which we've talked about before. You know, top-five classes are nice. Top-three classes are great. At the end of the day, if you consistently have a top-10 class, you're a championship-caliber team and you can compete for championships. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. If you look at all the champions, you know, you mentioned this on uh, our recruiting podcast last week, the percentage of four and five stars that are on the the playoff teams. And if you have the top 10 clash, you're getting there, you know. And so I think that that is really a great step that Hugh and his first, you know, full season, still not even his first real class, because you start recruiting these guys freshman, sophomore in high school. So Hugh really is. I mean, it's unfair to say that this is first class, but it's kind of what you have to do. Uh, in in the SEC because you don't have enough time to get a full class. You have to prove it earlier. But, you know, in Hughes' quote-unquote first real class, he looks like he's going to get a top-ten class. Getting Auburn back to where they need to be, we've talked about it endlessly. But, Wither, just kind of give us your thoughts on where kind of recruiting is trending in the football direction, how you feel about, you know, Lindsey coming up, committing tomorrow, and how how you think Franklin can, can fit into this class. So – I think going back to what you were saying about betting on Hugh over Lane, and this is such like a nitpicky thing for me. Like this is my own bias. This is not. But Hugh is getting crystal balls this week for the number one player in Mississippi, a five-star player in Mississippi. And Lane Kiffin is posting pictures dressed up as a Ken doll 
at fall camp. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if the roles were reversed and the number one player from the state of Alabama was a five-star and was about to go to Ole Miss and Hugh Freeze dressed up as a Ken doll, like from Barbie, with his 25-year-old girlfriend. Remember, people wanted Lane because Hugh was a nasty guy. Well, Lane is now dating someone who is 25 and was a cheerleader at the university while he was the head football coach. And he's losing five stars because what five-star big, ugly defensive lineman wants to go play for a Ken doll? I can't imagine many. So, no, I love it. I love that we're going into Mississippi taking, you know, obviously he hasn't committed yet, but when you have multiple crystal balls coming in, and the guys who are putting the crystal balls in are like, I would expect, you know, I'm going to put in a crystal ball. I would expect him to announce next week. And then he announces, I'm going to announce next week. It's like, okay, so he's made his decision. He didn't have a commitment date set. And then as soon as he sets his commitment date, you're also putting in your crystal ball. It's like, I feel pretty good that this guy is uh, going to come. Also, when the guy comes on the last day of before the dead period, you know, he decides, like, I'm going to make a special trip, even though I already had plans for this weekend. I'm going to come in on, I guess it was a Monday or Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon that he came over. So, and the thing that I love, too, about these guys is quarterbacks, receivers, running backs all get tons of attention. Everybody, you know, everybody is excited when you land. Cam Newton, everybody's excited when you land. You know, recently, Jeremiah Cobb, Damari Austin, Walker White. You got to build the ins Like, it's an inside-out game. If you don't have the inside, if you don't have the lines, offense and defensive lines, it doesn't matter who you have back there. I mean, you can look. Bo Nix is a candidate to win the Heisman Trophy this year. He has a really good shot of winning the Heisman Trophy. And he looked like garbage at Auburn because he had no line. He had no line. You look at the 2010 Auburn team. The 2010 Auburn defense was not very good. You you basically had a good defensive line, a really good linebacker, and a good safety. You had Zach Etheridge at safety. You had Josh Bynes at middle linebacker and a stellar defensive line. Defensive lines are what win you games. 2017, same thing. 2017, the reason Auburn was good on defense is because the defensive line was great. You have to have the big uglies to win the game. And that's what he's going and doing now. You've got not a lot of offensive linemen in this class, but when you look at the roster right now, you're like, okay, well, we just got a transfer who's a freshman. So he's going to be here for a while. You have Connor Lou, he's a freshman. He might be playing this year. You know, camp reports are saying he's rolling with the ones and the twos going between center and guard. So you know that you have those two guys, Dylan Sunday and Connor Lou, they're going to be starters on the offensive line for probably three years, okay? Well, maybe two years because if they only play three because they go to the NFL. But, I mean, you genuinely have a really good-looking offensive line depth group right now. As far as defensive line, your defensive line looks like it's going to be pretty good this year, but it looks like it's going to be pretty good this year because of a bunch of transfers you went and got. You got uh, Jalen McLeod from App State. He's looking like he's going to be really good. You've got uh, – I'm forgetting his name – the guy from Liberty – who's also going to be playing that Jack position. He looks like he's going to be really good. So 
you need to start looking in the high school ranks for these defensive linemen because you see, you know, Keldrick Falk looks like he might be a starter. He's a freshman. So if you bring in two more big-time freshmen, then you got Keldrick and two big-time defensive linemen to kind of help out, and then you can supplement with other guys and rolling in and out. So I'm really excited with how he's recruiting and how the focus right now is on getting – I feel like we've gotten a lot of skill position players in this class. And so now Hugh's kind of like, okay, I like where we are skill position-wise, but you need those four and five stars at the line positions because the thing that makes you a four or five star at a line position is really the, the size and athleticism combination. So even if you're raw, if you're just a huge human that can move super well, you're going to be a four or five star. And that's what you need in the SEC. Like you can teach technique, you can teach the scheme, but you need guys who are not just going to be physically overpowered the entire time. And that's what you're getting out of these guys is you're getting just massive uh, guys who are very athletic. Yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, the trenches are the most important part of a championship team at the end of the day. You know, th- those those guys in a quarterback are, are essential, but – you know, before we move into our, our fall camp talk, just a quick thing. Uh, Flory Bedunga, we talked about him a little bit earlier. He is the number ranked as the fourth best player in the country. He will be committing tomorrow night. Um, the the top four are Auburn, Michigan, Kansas, and Duke. Uh, Duke had a lot of momentum last week. That was a, a, name, a school that a lot of people thought was going to be his choice. Auburn's been surging a little bit. Uh, it, it seemed like the a lot of the media kind of wrote Auburn off, and I, I personally did not think that Auburn had a great shot at him. I thought that we were kind of a distant fourth in that top four. But the staff feels pretty confident. Auburn has been surging a lot with national media people. Now a lot of people think are thinking it's between Auburn and Kansas. So that's a really good a really good one to look at. We we talked about it a little bit earlier. He'll be committing tomorrow night. So that's just a, a recruitment to watch really closely. And that's going to be, I mean, that's one of the biggest targets in Auburn basketball history. I mean, truly. I mean, he's right up there with Jabari Smith and even more so because Jabari wasn't even that crazy of a recruitment. I mean, he, he, he fell in love with Auburn, you know, way before he committed. So this, it's a, it's a really big deal. Um, And we're just going to, I mean, hoping that, hoping that Auburn can make the surge. His recruitment is similar to Bolden's in the sense that not many people really know what's going on. And that's why you're seeing so many different schools being thrown out. He's been keeping it close to the vest. No one really knows kind of where he's at, but you know, tomorrow night at roughly eight o'clock central time, hopefully, uh, hopefully he he joins Bruce Pearl and uh, other five-star Todd Pettiford in that, that class with a dual five-star class would be huge for Auburn basketball. Yeah, I mean, he would obviously be a game changer. And I think that you're starting to see, like I mentioned earlier about the NIL, but also you're seeing Bruce is able to take those five stars and he's able to put them in the NBA. And they're honestly all going higher than they were expected to go. So he is able to pitch now. It is not a disadvantage to come to Auburn. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to go to Duke. You don't have to go to Kansas. Like sure, you're probably going to get more ESPN time. But – at the same time, with the ACC conference, and I, he may, I mean, this is just me spitballing because the ACC does look like it's on a little bit of a rocky surface. Okay. You're looking at things changing because of football. That could be part of the reason he doesn't want to go to Duke is if the ACC disbands, it's, it's going to be terrible. 
Um, and then between Auburn and Kansas, I mean, obviously it's going to be a tough sell to sell somebody on coming to Auburn over coming to the defending national champions, especially if the money is similar. Um, and atmospheres that, I mean, Auburn, Kansas, and Duke, like, the atmosphere is crazy at all. I mean, obviously, Kansas, you're going to have the biggest crowd out of those three. Um, and I don't know. It, it would be huge for Auburn to be able to get this guy. Um, he's super athletic. Having two five-stars in the same class would just be, you know, ridiculous. But I'm just glad. What happened to the G League, you feel like? Did the NIL money get that good? Because I feel like guys are not looking at the G League as much as they were like two and three years ago. Well, I think a lot of it is, yeah, yeah, the money is good, but also I think you're seeing the G League isn't really helping many guys. You know, like the guys, the, the Jalen Greens, who are top three players in the class who go to the G League, they're still going to be top five picks in the NBA draft. Like those guys aren't really, it's, it's not really the same. But you see other guys that go ignite. So like you, you look at Jalen Green and Scoot Henderson are the, the two most notable guys that went G League. Both of them went very high in the draft. But when you look at some other guys, you look at, you know, uh, Deshaun Nix, you look at, um, you know, all those other guys kind of in that inaugural class, all those guys that were going to the G League instead of going to college, and none of them helped their draft stock. And a lot of them, their draft stock actually went down. Um, so the I think the pro route is changing a little bit. NIL is evening evening it up. But and you, you saw with the Thompson Twins in this past draft go overtime elite. They don't play anybody. No one knows who they are, but the NBA still knows they're good because of their high school tape. So they still go high. I think that the the top guys, I think in the top five fringe top 10 guys, if they, it doesn't matter where they go. Like if they go somewhere and put up decent numbers, they're going to be fine. And you see guys like Brandon Boston. Brandon Boston was a super highly ranked guy, goes to Kentucky, doesn't really do anything that good at Kentucky, still gets picked up by the NBA. And he, if he was not, if he was a four, if he was a four-star recruit, if he was ranked 90th in the country, he wouldn't have sniffed the draft. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have been on, he, the Clippers wouldn't have picked him up. They would have been like, yo, dude, you need to stay in college because you did not play well in your one year in college. If you're ranked highly, if you play good in high school, they see the potential. And that's all the NBA really is drafting on. So I think that the G League, it's starting to see, guys are starting to see that if you're not already having a great grade, the G League might not be good for you because no one's going to watch you. And yeah, they're going to pay you more than anyone else. But it's like, well, now you have NIL. It's like, well, you're still making money and you're still, you know, you you have that college life. And so I, I think that that's really what's happening. I s- still think you'll see, G League, Overtime Elite, you know, programs like that still getting guys that are the top players. But I don't think they're really going to be just ripping through the top 10, top 15, where you're like, you know, you look through the top 20 of a draft and you're like, all right, three of these guys might actually go to college. Like, I think that that time is starting to change a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because. I feel like it's starting to come back around, and I'm glad because it's much more fun when the guys come and play, you know, college basketball for the rest of – instead of the G League. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. But we're we're running out of time on this podcast. We'll move back into more of a fall camp-centered discussion next week on our podcast. The first scrimmage is happening – tomorrow morning so we'll have you know some some things with that we'll be able to talk a little bit more about kind of lineups and stuff like that kind of where guys are looking 
Um, the plan for Q and Philip Montgomery is to cut the quarterback competition down to two uh, after this scrimmage. So that'll be something that we'll all be talking about as well as summarizing the recruiting events from this weekend. But as always, you know, thank you guys so much for listening and listen next week and War Eagle. War Eagle.